This program is brought to you by the partners of A Root Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support A Root Awakening International today. There are certain verses in the Bible that as believers we clearly identify as referring to Yeshua. Others, however, who call themselves believers don't see it that way. Jake Hilton explains why some prophecies in your Bible that you attribute to Yeshua are seen by the Mormons as referring to Joseph Smith. Because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom Torah fans. Welcome to Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Maybe you, like me, don't know much about Mormonism. At least maybe you didn't know much about it until last week when we first met Jake Hilton. This week we're going to get into what Mormons believe or don't believe about prophecies that clearly refer to Yeshua. And this is not our opinion. This is truth from Jake Hilton, a guy who used to work for the Mormon church, defending its tenets and is today a Torah observant teacher. It's episode two of Why I Left Mormonism. And here's one of the things that helped to change Jake's mind. It's the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. This week, we are on the fourth and final Shabbat of the 10th month, sometimes referred to as Tevet from the Babylon. Days. Now, please welcome my co-host, David Robinson. Glad to be here. Welcome, David. Yes, good to be been here. a while. I'm glad yeah, you're here. Man. You know, we were talking about Mormonism before the, uh, the the cameras came on. So you had this story of you and a friend who had gone to a Mormon church uh, undercover, right. and, and you went yeah. to a restaurant and all this. Uh, tell us that story. Well, um, I have a friend who's a professor, uh, professor in religion, and his ministry was the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons. Uh, the reason, because he came out of the Jehovah Church, Jehovah Witnesses Church. So he had a heart for these people. And so we go to this church, undercover, dressed to look like them and the lingo. He, you know, had the lingo down and everything. I'm just watching him. Uh, we go to the worship service and we go to this class. And I remember sitting in this class and these two, they look like bodyguards, come and sit directly behind us. And they, I feel like they're just staring a hole in the back of our head. And then they tap on my friend's shoulder and go, who do you said, who are you? You know, they start questioning him. But we made it through that. They passed out books. We, he told me to sign my name on it because they wouldn't take it back or something. I have no idea why. But we talked to the elders. The elders are the ones that you see coming by your house on the bicycles and the tie and white shirt and, and want to witness to you. And uh, so we, he struck up a conversation with them. All of them decided, hey, let's go to lunch, brother. Let's go to lunch and talk. And so we went to Ryan's Steakhouse. And I remember we had to wait on them because they were riding their bicycles. So uh, he just strikes up a conversation. There's three of them there. And um, just really good, loving conversation. But he just found ways to segue into asking questions. And I remember this one defining moment. And he said, so, so Joseph Smith got, you know, from Nephi, you know, the golden plates and directly from God through Nephi, and, you know, and all this. And they're going, yes, brother, yes, yeah, isn't it amazing to happen and all this kind of stuff? He goes, well, let me ask you why then. Why? He reaches down and grabs this big book, um, like a Schofield Bible that your grandmother, you know, had. But uh, <laughs> anyway, she, he goes, um, so can you explain to me, because I really want to know why there have been 3,000 doctrinal changes since Joseph Smith got the golden plates in the Book of Mormon. And two of them were offended, got up and left. The other one, just he started witnessing and talking to him and, and showing the flaws of their doctrine in, in a loving, kind way. That guy literally sat there crying and was like, I can't go home. I believe you, but I can't go home. And he, he would literally find homes for these people that would turn or leave more Mormonism. Well, you know what? That's what Jake Hilton was up against. Uh, you know, he lost a marriage. 
Wow. Because of this. Oh, yeah. I mean, think about it. Seven generations of a really staunch, like, tight community, and you decide to leave that. I mean, yeah, we all have Christian homes or Christian, you know, backgrounds that we left for, you know, Torah-observant beliefs, uh, you know, one way or another, but not to the extreme of that. Yeah, most cults have the disassociation agenda they apply yeah. when you leave. They, no one can associate with you. Yeah. No one can call you a tall team. And you know, Jake's got a lot of guts because not only is he a Torah observant preacher, uh, if you want to put it that way on YouTube, he his mandate is to, like your friend, you know, what I was formerly in, I've got to uh, let people know that that's just not the way. So he actually goes against the Mormon church as a Torah observant believer, and he used to work for the Mormon church. Wow. So, you, like, wow. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, when he first started his uh, Sword of Yehovah uh, ministry on YouTube, the Mormon church called him within, I guess, the first couple of hours after he put up his first video. Oh. And they went, uh, brother, what are you doing? Yeah. Just curious. You know, it's kind of like the yeah. bouncer yeah, sitting exactly. behind you and your oh, friend, Oh, absolutely, right? yeah. I mean, this guy actually went to Utah, to Salt Lake City, to argue the scriptures with mm. the heads of the elder church. Wow. I mean, he was that confident in his faith and in his, you know, education. and But he didn't do it, you know, in an era. He had no arrogance about him. Mm. He, he loved people. And... I think it's a good lesson for us. We can we know we're right. Yep. Okay. But if we're not living what's right or sharing what's right in a way that you know shows Christ, Yeshua, then then we need to back up and absolutely and, now, and start over. Speaking of love, we have the love gift in front of us. We don't have exactly. time to talk about it, but there's a beautiful blanket. There's a menorah. There's a teaching. We can learn about it in just a second. But first, here's what you're going to see with Jake tonight. This is about Yeshua the Messiah. We can say that with absolute precision, no question. But now that the true interpretation of Isaiah chapter 11 has been provided, we need to ask ourselves, is that what Joseph Smith taught? All right, well, there are certain verses in the Bible that as believers we clearly identify as referring to Yeshua. Others, however, who call themselves believers don't see it that way. Jake Hilton explains in just a few minutes, but first, I need you to see this. There is an end time plan advancing right now, but the players may not be who you think they are. Is the media diverting our attention while a more important threat is looming? It's almost 300 million against Israel. And you will also have volunteers, Muslim volunteers from Indonesia, 200 million, India, 120 million. That's Armageddon. Turkey and the Armageddon with Middle East expert and political analyst Avi Lipkin provides important geopolitical history and biblical context that most of us in the West are missing. Turkey and the Armageddon with Avi Lipkin is our gift to thank you for supporting A Rude Awakening International. When you donate $50 to this ministry in January, we'll send you Turkey and the Armageddon on DVD or Blu-ray. Donate $100 and we'll send you two gifts, Turkey and the Armageddon, plus a custom designed blanket exclusive to A Rude Awakening International, featuring the Hebrew word Shalom in different languages from around the world. Donate $300 and we'll send you three gifts. Turkey and the Armageddon, the International Shalom Blanket, and a stunning brass menorah. This beautiful showpiece will be the center of attention in your home, standing more than 12 inches tall. These gifts are a limited time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. Get these exclusive thank you gifts when you make a donation to support A Root Awakening International in January. Call 888-766-3610, or get your gifts online with a donation at monthlylovegift.com. The Chronological Gospels Bible is changing lives all over the world putting everything the Messiah did in exact chronological order and explaining the behind-the-scenes truth of what the Messiah did, when He did it, and why. The timing of it all means everything. And now, the Chronological Gospels can be easier on your eyes 
The larger print edition features 40% larger type and every page appears exactly the same as the original so you can follow along with others who have the regular size version. The Chronological Gospels larger print edition also has wider margins to write notes and the premium quality paper means you can highlight without soaking through. Plus, the larger print edition lies flat so you can teach without having to hold the book open. The Chronological Gospels Larger Print Edition is a big and beautiful coffee table book, measuring a full 12 inches tall and 9 inches wide. Study the Bible with clarity and ease. I love the size of this book. This is 9 by 12. The paper is, is perfect because it doesn't bleed through when I write on it. I can mark it up, and I always make notes in all my Bibles. Everything is the same place as it is on the smaller version, and I can just stand back and I can teach from it, and it's just, it's the perfect size. I pray thee, of whom speaks this prophet? Order the Chronological Gospels larger print edition by phone or online. You'll get 40% larger type than the original. Call 800-788-7887. That's 800-788-7887 or get the Chronological Gospels Bible Larger Print Edition online at arudeawakening.tv slash large. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, said that David, King David, was a prophet who saw beforehand the coming of the Messiah. He saw that his son, the Messiah, would be the Kohen Gadol forever after the order of the Melech Zadik. And Yeshua, ordained as the Melech Zadik, as the high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, brought forth bread and wine in Yeshua. On the night in which he was betrayed, brought forth bread and wine and interpreted the very thing that Abraham saw so many generations before. Yeshua took bread and he spoke this blessing. Baruch and he broke the bread and he said, this broken bread represents my broken body, which will be broken for you. By my stripes, you will be healed. Do this in remembrance of me. I'm paying the price. Then he took the wine and he said, Blessed are you, Yehovah, our God, creator of the heavens and the earth and the creator of the fruit of the vine. And he said, this represents the renewed covenant, which will be paid for in my blood. As often as you break this bread and you drink this cup, you exhibit what I've done for you because I am making you priests and kings. I'm paying the price. Shabbat Shalom, priests and kings. Last we spoke, we were talking about whether truth is really truth if there's any hint of a lie. Well, let me put it to you this way. Is black, white, or white, black, or can they be mixed? Well, if they're mixed, it's called something different. It's neither black nor white. It's gray. These are gray areas. We were talking about this with uh, Jake Hilton from uh, Utah last time you were here. And uh, when people say, Utah, were you a Mormon? Yes, you were a Mormon. Indeed. That is literally the first question everybody asks me. Yeah, right? No, no joke. Whenever <laughs> I say, yes, I'm from Utah. Well, were you a Mormon? Are you a Mormon? I'm like, well, I was, but no longer. <laughs> <laughs> right. In 2016, we established uh, last time on Shabbat Night Live, you explained your whole story. Uh, 2016, you started a, a ministry of your own called the Sword of Yehovah Ministries. Mm -hmm. And uh, from that, you are 
preaching to the former choir, as it were. <laughs> That's a good way of saying it. <laughs> about, about the truth of Yehovah and getting those who are questioning things to really examine what is truth and what is lies. And so last time we spoke, you were talking about this uh, dragon, how Satan uh, sort of masquerades and, and covers up the truth or twists it. Yes. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And all of his, quote, servants, as Paul says, it's not surprising that they come to us as wolves in sheep's clothing. It's not surprising that they present themselves to all the world as these servants of righteousness. Somebody that clothes themselves with good deeds, if you will, is well camouflaged. It's hard to see, hard to identify. This is what the enemy does, and I believe it's a, a perfect illustration of the dangerous religion of Mormonism. We see this dragon here, and he never presents his lies as those pitch black lies. If he were to do that, he wouldn't deceive anybody. His goal is to deceive, and so he needs to mix and mingle. And you can even think about the Torah here as Yehovah commands his people, when you enter the promised land, don't mingle with the nations. Mm -hmm. Don't mix yourselves with the pagans because if you do, you're going to end up mixing with the paganism, their false religions, and it's going to be a snare to you. It's going to bring you down. And that's exactly what happened to God's people. Mm. It's a very uh, appropriate illustration as what's happening now with this particular religion or many religions around the world. Satan doesn't come in with black and white he comes in with a mixture of the two. And I love this illustration as you see at the beginning of the tunnel here, there's a lot more light, much more light, just a little bit of the lie starting to mix with that light. There's enough light there that people are attracted to it. Mm. They're driven to that, you know. Mankind was created in the image of God. It's, it's to, to have that innate desire to seek truth is it's woven into our DNA, if you will. And so Satan comes in and he just starts putting just a little bit of his darkness, a little bit of his lies mingled with the truth. But for anybody who will believe those lies, he leads them carefully down a ever darkening tunnel that leads to just that, leads to darkness. His mm -hmm. goal is to drag souls down to hell with him. I love this quote from British poet Alfred Tennyson, who said, a lie which is half a truth is ever the blackest of lies. A lie which is all a lie, like 100% a lie, may be met and fought with outright. But a lie which is part a truth is a harder matter to fight. Well said, because you'll never see it coming, essentially. Exactly, and when it comes to Joseph Smith, that false prophet, there is truth in Mormonism, most certainly. I could say there's truth in Catholicism, there's truth even in Islam, there's truth in all these types of religions. But it's been mingled with a lot of lies, a lot of poison, and there's enough poison there to destroy souls. It's actually what I think of, uh, <laughs> it's what I call the rat poison analogy. And this rat poison analogy is, with rat poison, there's enough good food that it's attractive to the rat. If it was 100% poison, the rat wouldn't identify it as food. He would look at him like, I'm not gonna eat that. But there's enough food there that the rat goes, hmm, this looks tasty, I'm gonna eat it. But it's mingled with enough poison to still kill the rat. Mm. Even if it's 95% food, there's still enough poison there to kill the rat. And so we need to properly identify and expose the lies, the darkness of the enemy, Get that out of our lives so that we can focus, focus, focus on the truth. You know, someone uh, brought to my attention, it's one of those things where you, you, you never think of it. Uh, and you've read it over a thousand times in the Bible. Uh, where in Revelation, we're taught, be neither hot, or you are neither hot nor cold. You are lukewarm. Lukewarm. And people say, oh, well, that's just lukewarm. It's, it, of course, yeah, it makes you want to spew, spew it out of your mouth. But People don't see that as one or the other, or people see that as one or the other. They don't see it as being mixed. Mm. That's what created the lukewarmness, is taking hot right. and cold and putting them together. Right. And that's what I never recognize. That's one of those things, you know, you read it over a thousand times and mm. then you get it. You're like, oh, that's why we're yeah, mixing. You're mixing, that's you're mingling with the world, and you're, you're mixing something together that was never the intention of the Almighty to be mixed. 
He is holy, 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 and there is no darkness in him. And we were created to be in that image. We want to exemplify that image of holiness and purity and righteousness to follow our master Yeshua and that path of righteousness he laid out, the path of Torah. Hmm. And Satan is always there to mingle his lies with the truth in order to get us off the path and lead us carefully down that, that tunnel of darkness. Now, that tunnel of darkness uh, in Mormonism leads us to something you taught me before the cameras came on that leads us to Isaiah 11. Mm. Can you talk to us about how that ties in? Yes. What I want to focus on for these next few teachings with Shabbat Night Live is actual specific examples why Mormonism is dangerous. It's, it's one thing for me to you know come on stage and say, Mormonism is dangerous, beware of it. Okay, why? I can give you general examples, but how about I give you some specific examples? And so what I'd like to do is let's focus on Isaiah chapter 11. Let's identify the truth of Isaiah chapter 11, what it's really about, its true interpretation, but then we're gonna look at Mormonism's interpretation. Mm. We're gonna look at Joseph Smith's interpretation. We're gonna weigh the two in the balance and see, do these conflict or do they harmonize? And you're gonna see for yourself that not only do they conflict, <laughs> but blasphemously so. Really? <laughs> oh, most okay. certainly. All right. Most certainly. So Isaiah chapter 11, let's get into this. Isaiah 11 verses one and 10. Now all capitalizations here are from the King James as well as New King James Bible translations. So pay attention to the capitals. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots, out of Jesse's roots. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, <laughs> just because there are capitalizations there in King James and New King James doesn't prove anything about exactly who this is identifying. But anybody who knows their Bible, you know exactly who this is talking about. But... Let's go through it. Let's dive down deep. Let's get into the word and let's make sure that we are interpreting this correctly, that this is in fact about our Lord Yeshua. We're going to focus on these terms here. Rod, stem of Jesse, branch, grow out, his roots, and then also root of Jesse. Rod, coteur, it is a shoot, a twig, Stem, as in stem of Jesse, gazah. It is a stump indicating the decaying remains of a felled tree. Branch. Now, this word, <laughs> this is a word that you, as well as I certainly hope just about everyone who is uh, a regular here at the Root Awakening Ministries, this is a word that everyone should recognize. The Hebrew word there is netzer. Branch, netzer, it is a sprout, a branch, indicating a sprout that grows up from a felled tree's root system to become a new tree. Grow out, para, to bear fruit, to be fruitful, to flourish, and then finally, root, sheresh, a root, roots, depths, and is often used as a metaphor of family or people, one's descendants. Family roots. Family roots. It's like we, we use this terminology today. It's ancient terminology. So with those definitions in mind, let's get back to Isaiah and let's now read Isaiah 11, one through five. There shall come forth a shoot or a branch from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, shall flourish. And the spirit of Yehovah shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yehovah. And his delight shall be in the fear of Yehovah. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the scepter of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked, 
Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. You read that and it's becoming certainly more solidified as to who this is (laughs) talking about and who this is identifying. But let's go further. Let's get to the Gospels, the Gospel of Luke chapter 4, where our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And here it is written in our Bibles. It's Isaiah chapter 61, one through two. He quotes, the spirit of the Lord Yehovah is upon me because Yehovah has anointed me to proclaim good news, to proclaim the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of Yehovah's favor. Then Yeshua rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What we read before from Isaiah chapter 11 about this this branch that comes out of the, the root system of Jesse from that felled tree, that stump, is the spirit of Yehovah is going to rest upon this individual. And that's what we need to focus on here. Yeshua reads this passage from Isaiah and it reads, the spirit of the Lord Yehovah is upon me. And then he says to the audience, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Mm. Now, Scott, I think we know who this is talking about, right? <laughs> we have a few clues. We, could yeah, we have a few clues. You know, who, who's the branch now? It's like, uh, yeah, it's Yeshua. It's the Messiah. But we're going to go further. Let's just draw up the illustration of what God is drawing for us when it comes to Isaiah chapter 11 and this stump of Jesse as well as Jesse's roots and that root of Jesse and that shoot, that branch that comes out of the root system. This is the illustration. This is what God is drawing up in our minds. Let's dive into this. What is that stump of Jesse? The tree that was cut down. King David, who is the literal son of Jesse in Psalm 52 says, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name for it is good in the presence of the godly. King David, the literal son of of Jesse, he identifies himself as this green olive tree, a green olive tree that's been planted by the Almighty. And there's this, this covenant between the Almighty and David. The covenant being from one of your descendants is going to be this Messiah. He's going to sit upon your throne and his, his kingdom will be forever. But then we get to the actual tree that was cut down. So we have David and then we have David's kingly line. And we get to Jeremiah chapter 11, where it reads, And Yehovah said to me, Jeremiah, A conspiracy has been found among the men of Judah and among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They have turned back to the iniquities of their forefathers who refused to hear my words, and they have gone after other gods to serve them. The house of Israel and the house of Judah have broken my covenant, which I made with their fathers. Yehovah called, past tense, called your name green olive tree, lovely and of good fruit. But with the noise of a great tumult, he has kindled fire on it, and its branches are broken. For Yehovah of hosts who planted you has pronounced doom against you for the evil of the house of Israel and the house of Judah, which they have done against themselves to provoke me to anger in offering incense to Baal. The tree that was planted, which David identifies as, you know, I am like a green olive tree, It represents himself and it represents that kingly line, but generally beyond that, it can represent the whole house of Israel that Yehovah planted in the time of the Exodus out of Egypt and Moses, etc., as that covenant is made between him and his people at Sinai. 
but it's a tree that's cut down, leaving behind those, those decaying roots, or excuse me, the decaying stump, the mm-hmm. dead stump. But Isaiah 11 says, there's gonna be a root system of that stump, that stump of Jesse, a root system, and there's going to be a living branch, a netzer, that's gonna spring out of that root system. As we said previously, this whole image of one's roots, we use this imagery to this day. It's whenever we have, uh, we do genealogical type of work, we refer to it as my family tree. Tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my roots, my descendants, and my family tree, right? Jesse's roots, his family line through David. And that brings us to one extraordinarily important individual, of course, our Lord Yeshua, where his genealogical line is referenced in Matthew chapter one. It's Jesus through his mother, Mary, his only mortal uh, relative, which Michael Rood has done a tremendous amount of work showing Mm -hmm. that the, the ancestry that's in Matthew one is Jesus through Mary. And it reads here, the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. Jesse begot David, the king, Mary, of whom was born Yeshua, who is called the Messiah. Here we have that genealogical line provided to us in Matthew chapter one, and it's the apostle Paul in Acts 13 that confirms this, reading, God gave the Israelites Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he, Yehovah, had removed Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Quoting 1 Samuel 13, 14. Paul goes on and he says, from this man's seed... There's that same imagery. Mm-hmm. We're talking about trees, stumps, roots. <laughs> Here's an image of a seed. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior, Yeshua. The branch. This is also a tremendous amount of, of research that Michael Rood, right here at Rood Awakening, has provided for all the world and praise God for it. The branch, the netzer, from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, we have this this verse from Matthew chapter 2, which reads, He, Yeshua, went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that which was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And as Michael has pointed out in so many teachings in the past, you can go through all of the Old Testament and not come across this prophecy about he's going to be called specifically a Nazarene. But (laughs) we know that Netzer, as defined as a sprout, a branch, indicating a sprout that grows up from a felled tree's root system to become a new tree, that's literally the root word where we get this term Nazareth. Nazareth is this town that was founded and established by descendants of David. And they were familiar with the prophecy. They knew what Isaiah chapter 11 was prophesying about, that there's going to be someone extremely important, this branch of righteousness that's gonna come out of David's line, his lineage, it just be you know, from one of us, one of our you know, lines. So they come together and they establish this town of Nazareth, Netzeret in the Hebrew. Netzer, Netzeret. Here's that fulfillment of that prophecy. Yeshua is that netzer, that branch of righteousness. And ironically, it's, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's always <laughs> mocked in that day, right? Oh, most certainly. So here it is, it's intended to be this important place, but yet the, the surrounding populace just mocks it, so. Well, they're relying on that, that prophecy that you know, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Mm-hmm, right. And they didn't know Yeshua's history 
that he was born in Bethlehem, All right. but he'd be raised in Netzeret. So we're going to come back and talk more about this. So uh, thank you for supporting Shabbat Night Live. You brought Jake here. I'm certainly enjoying this. I hope you are too. This is a great teaching, and uh, we have some important things to learn from Jake. So thank you again for supporting Shabbat Night Live. Please continue to do so so that others can see this into the future and learn from this. That's how this goes. Again, thank you for your support. We'll give you a couple minutes to do just that. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Shabbat Night Live. Jake, before the break, we were talking about how Yeshua is the Netzer. We kind of caught you halfway through a thought, so please continue. Yeshua is the Netzer. He's the branch of righteousness. We know this. There's no question about it. And that is the fulfillment of this prophecy from Matthew 2.23, that he would be called a Nazarene. He'd be called the Netzer, the branch. And so when we break it all down, what we're looking at here is, quote, the stump of Jesse, or that stem of Jesse, as it is called in the King James Version of the Bible, the royal family of David, that once fruitful tree that became extremely wicked and was cut down during the reign of Zedekiah by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon in 586 BC. Jesse's roots, the family slash descendants of David that were left in obscurity, some of which later established the town Nazareth or Netzeret. The shoot, the branch, it's Yeshua the Messiah, the Netzer, no question. And the root of Jesse, also Yeshua the Messiah, as is so easily proven from Revelation 22, 16, he literally says, I, Yeshua, am the root and offspring of David. It doesn't get more clear than that. <laughs> it's right, like, yeah. there's no question, no question. Let's go further, let's illustrate this very quickly. Yehovah planted a tree. It was a lovely and green tree, as David says. Yehovah says, this is a man after mine own heart. He's going to do all my will. Lovely, green, beautiful tree. But later, you fast forward a couple hundred years, and that tree's not so lovely anymore. Now, there were certain kings in David's line that were righteous, Solomon was righteous for a time, we know this, but we also have Hezekiah, we have Josiah, righteous kings, but then we also have others that are either bad or extremely bad, ugly or extremely ugly, and that once beautiful tree, green tree, it becomes dead. And Yehovah says, I'm gonna kindle some fire on this tree, I'm gonna cut it down. And so that's exactly what he does. He cuts it down, leaving behind this rotting stump, but Isaiah chapter 11, the root system of that stump is still alive. The family line is still there, many of them in obscurity. And the prophecy says, at a certain time, there's gonna be this netzer, this branch that's gonna spring up out of the root system of Jesse, and it will, as the netzer does, grow up into this new tree, representing the tree of life. That's what Yeshua is a representation of. He is that, that living, breathing, physical manifestation of the tree of life, mm. that God through Yeshua provides to us the fruit of that tree. I've come not to just give life, but life more abundantly. In John chapter five, Yeshua says, truth I say to you, he that trusts in him who sent me and believes in me has crossed over from death into life. That person will not be brought into condemnation but will receive everlasting life. Yeshua goes on to further confirm this using the same type of plant tree imagery in John 15 and he says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. You have to be connected to me. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I turn to the Chaldee paraphrase on the prophet Isaiah, specifically from chapter 11, verse one. It's an Aramaic targum. It's an ancient interpretation of the Hebrew Bible. And normally I wouldn't turn to such a source looking for an authoritative interpretation, but this is presented just to show that even anciently, go back 2,000 years and beyond, everyone knew what Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1 was about. Everyone knew. Everyone understood this. 
The Chaldee paraphrase says, a king shall proceed from the sons of Jesse and the Messiah from his son's sons shall arise. That, that's pretty blatant right there. That's the pretty clear. Will, yeah, <laughs> okay. I mean, the, the, everyone knows this. It's like you would think. It's clear as crystal, it's black and white. And then of course we have these additional passages from the Old Testament Isaiah 4, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 33, Zechariah 3, Zechariah 6, all about this same branch. Now, Michael Rood has done numerous teachings on that branch. Mm -hmm. And so on the screen now, you can see these passages. You can read them for yourself. This is all about Yeshua the Messiah that Yehovah will raise up. What I really want to read is right here from Isaiah chapter 52, 13 through 15, which goes right into the very next chapter, chapter 53, verses one through six. Now, you ask just about any Christian who knows their Bible, and you say, now, what's Isaiah chapter 53 about? And that's that, that's the Messiah chapter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that is the Messiah chapter, no question. Okay, so let's read this. Yehovah declares, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand." Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of Yehovah been revealed? He, referring to that servant of Yehovah, he, the servant, grew up before God like a tender plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and Yehovah has laid on him, on that servant, the iniquity of us all. He will grow up like a tender plant and like a root out of dry ground. The Messiah chapter from Isaiah, it's beyond obvious by this point, but we can still go further. <laughs> Here we go, Romans 15, Paul says, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, here he is quoting from Isaiah chapter 11, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. And once again, Revelation twenty two sixteen. 16, I, Jesus, I'm the root and offspring of David. That should be the most obvious one. The, the, it the, really the should. The very words to John in the Revelation, I mean, that's... Yeah, <laughs> it really should. Spoken by Yeshua himself. So what we have seen from these illustrations, what we have seen from multiple passages from the Bible, and even an ancient interpretation of Isaiah chapter 11, is that... No question. This is about Jesus Christ. This is about Yeshua the Messiah. We can say that with absolute precision, no question. But now that the true interpretation of Isaiah chapter 11 has been provided, we need to ask ourselves, is that what Joseph Smith taught? Is that the... Is that the understanding and the interpretation that's provided to us through the religion of Mormonism. So they take this and they have a different view on it. Oh, very much so different. Okay. Now, you would think that that would be impossible. 
Well, it's pretty, pretty obvious. From what you're <laughs> I mean, you really maybe would. Joseph Smith should listen to this. Well, it's like, okay, no, after everything that we have seen in this teaching, you go, it literally could not be anyone else. It's all over the Bible. Yeah. It has to be Yeshua. It must be Jesus. It cannot be anyone else. It would be impossible for it to be anyone else. And yet, Joseph Smith steps into the picture with his false religion and his false interpretations, and you will be floored at what he taught that branch of righteousness was mm. and what the stump okay. was. What you're looking at here is an image of a triplet, as it's called in Mormonism. We got the Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. These are what we would call the, the founding scriptural books of the Mormon religion, all of them written by Joseph Smith. And I turn to the second of these three books, Doctrine and Covenants, section 113, verses one through six. And the section heading for 113 says, answers to certain questions on the writings of Isaiah, given by Joseph Smith the prophet at or near far west Missouri in March of 1838. So verses one and two, question, who is the stem, that is the stump of Jesse, spoken of in the first through fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah? All right, mm -hmm. who's the stump? Who's that dead, rotting, decaying stump? Now look at Joseph Smith's answer. Verily thus saith the Lord. We got to pause right there. Those are strong words. Okay, right? <laughs> Those are pretty strong words. This isn't Joseph Smith sharing his opinion. This isn't Joseph Smith going, well, I think it's this. He is stepping into that prophetic role saying, this is revelation from the Lord. These are not my words, this is the word of the Lord. You've asked the question, who's the stump? Here's the answer from the Lord himself. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. The rotting stump the Yeshua. The rotting stump, the tree that's cut down and rotting and decaying, that's Christ. That's Jesus. Okay. According <laughs> to Joseph Smith, according to Mormonism, according to, as he says, the Lord. This is revelation. <laughs> you you okay. see a problem with this. Yeah, I'm, well, you see, I'm stumped. No, seriously, it's like I'm stumped <laughs> as to how anyone could come to this conclusion. Yeah. That the stump of Jesse is Jesus? By so-called revelation, this is what Joseph Smith is teaching. Hmm. So is, is he bringing, I'm just, I'm curious, as to, maybe you don't even know it, but I mean, where does he come with, is it because Yeshua was crucified and therefore he's a rotting stump? Is, is that where he's getting this from? Or who knows? He's getting it from Satan. I'm just going to say yeah. that right now. He's getting it from that father of all lies. And it goes further. He's identified Jesus as this stump, but now who does he identify as the branch? Who does he identify as the, the root of Jesse? Hmm. Okay. Okay. Doctrine and Covenants 113, three through four. The question is, what is the rod? Now this is the King Jamesian language. The rod is that image of the, the, the branch that is coming out of that root system. Mm -hmm. So what's the rod? What's the branch? What is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come of the stem of Jesse or come out of that, that root system this of the, the stem? The netzer, the rod. Right. Okay. So, so what is the branch? What is the netzer? Once again, by revelation, it reads, Behold, thus saith the Lord, pretty strong words, mm -hmm. it is a servant in the hands of Christ, so right there from the first the half sentence, it's not Christ, it's someone else. Mm. It's a servant in the hands of Christ who is partly a descendant of Jesse as well as of Ephraim or of the house of Joseph on whom there is laid much power. Now you read that and you go like, what? Who, who could you possibly, like, what are you yeah. talking about, right? This, this doesn't make any sense, okay? We go further. 
DNC 113, five through six, question, what is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter? Behold, third time, thus saith the Lord, it is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood and the keys of the kingdom for an ensign or a banner and for the gathering of my people in the last days. Now, you, as well as your audience, might be scratching your heads going like, okay, well, first of all, he identifies the stump as Jesus, and then the branch, as well as the root, he's identifying as this, this, this other figure. He doesn't come out openly and say it, mm-hmm. who exactly this is, but when we look at other doctrines of Mormonism, it becomes very, very clear who this is. Getting back to the illustration, Mormonism identifies Jesus Christ as that tree, that stump that's left behind, that's dead, rotting, and decaying. But who is that that shoot or that branch of righteousness? That's the question. And um, I think that we'll cover that next time. (laughs) Oh, you want to cover that next time? Okay. There's a lot more to get into. and um, See, that's interesting. So I'm going to tell you my assumptions. Okay, all right. So We'll start with the assumptions, but let's go first. By by listening to what you, well, not what you've said, pardon me, what you've relayed that Joseph Smith said, I would think at the very least, maybe he's talking about the resurrected Yeshua, maybe. Maybe this, you know, there's a connection here where he was dead and then he will rise again or something to that effect. So I'm, I'm going to hope it's that. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going you to be can certainly, You can certainly hope it's that, um, but you will see that it is not that. When you, when you go just to what he was saying for those last two questions, mm-hmm. he says that, Whoever this is, that, that rod or that branch and yeah. the, the root of Jesse, he's partly a descendant of Jesse, but he's also partly a descendant of Joseph who was sold into Egypt, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, we know that the Messiah, Jesus, had no connection to that family line of Joseph through Ephraim. Right. He had no connection there. He's of the tribe of Judah. Judah to Jesse to David on down to Mary, and we come Yeshua. So from the beginning, we know that, I I know that was your hope. You're like, hey, let's hope that he's still going to be saying that this this other individual, the the rod, the branch, the root is Jesus, but it can't be because he's already identified it as partly of Jesse and partly of Joseph through Ephraim. Right. And so it can't even be so it can't be, it's not Yeshua, he's already said that. It couldn't be the resurrected Yeshua, and it can't nope. even be the second coming of Yeshua, because that would all be nope. inter- interconnected. <laughs> can't be any of those it things. It can't be any of those things. Because, again, Yeshua is only through Judah, Jesse, and David. He has no connection to Joseph and huh. Ephraim. But Joseph Smith, by revelation, is saying, whoever this is, he's of both of these family lines. And we're going to have to wait till next week to find out. Because we're out of time. We're out of time. So, okay. So, Jake, would you come back and tell us what, what the heck this is? <laughs> I would love to come back and tell you what it is. Okay. Then. And just be prepared. You know, buckle up. You and your audience, buckle up. Because next time, you're going to get a, a slug in the gut. A, a rude awakening. You're going to get a rude awakening. <laughs> oh, yes. You will get a rude awakening as to what... Why I refer to Mormonism as a dangerous religion wow. and Joseph Smith as a chief false prophet. All right. So next week, come back for the rude awakening about Mormonism with Jake Hilton. Thank you for joining us. Have a good week. Shavua Tov. You got to come back and see this one. See you then. <laughs>